Awesome. We'll open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to continue on with our sermon series this year called History Makers, going through the men and women of the Bible and allowing their stories to impact our story and also teach us more about who God is and how he works in the land of the living. And we are at one of the most powerful, probably if you could, if you looked at the Bible as a teeter-totter, Isaiah chapter 53 is the fulcrum. It is the fulcrum upon which both the Old Testament and the New Testament hinge. So I can't express to you enough today how important it is to turn your phone off, try not to drift, hope you drank enough coffee, because this is really going to be the foundation of Old Testament and New Testament biblical teaching, how they connect at the point of connection, which is Isaiah chapter 53. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the word of God. And God, I pray that no matter where we're at, whether we don't believe in you or whether we have believed in you for 80 years, God, that you would allow uh, this message and this teaching to come forth and bring encouragement, to bring hope, and to bring trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into that, it's one thing that kind of ties in together is lately I've been doing a lot of pre-marriage counseling. And, and it's kind of fun because I hadn't been doing some in a while, and then, and then all of a sudden I've got two or three couples I'm working with and possibly two or three more in the future uh, that have kind of talked to me in private saying, saying they're thinking about it. And, and I have a lot of fun with pre-marriage counseling. In fact, it's probably the most hilarious ministry I've ever been involved with. And uh, we have a lot of fun, we laugh a lot, but we cry a lot too. It's just, it's a great, great experience. But one of the things I do is I, I have a, a little test that I have people take just so I can kind of get to know them. We can kind of get to see their strengths and weaknesses. And one of the things on this test is kind of the idealism test. You know, when you look at marriage more through the rose-colored glasses rather than through the reality of life. And of course, these questions are like, true false questions and if you answer true or false you know depending on that the test kind of measures that well here's a couple of the questions that we get that can kind of indicate whether somebody or not has those rose-colored glasses one of the first ones is this my partner always gives me the affection that i need all right how many of you would say that's true for me you know yes Good, good. You answered correctly because that is, of course, who is the only person who can give you all the affection you ever need? Jesus. <laughs> you guys are like, I don't know, but it, Jesus must be the answer. <laughs> Here's another one. My partner and I completely, and I mean completely, understand each other. True? Or false, you know, false, obviously. How about this one? I, I know my partner. Don't tell me I don't know her. I know my partner. And my partner knows me. That's why we're getting married. True or false? False. My partner sympathizes with my every mood. <laughs> Even the pre-marrieds. Don't answer that one true. <laughs> and last but not least, love is all we will need to have a happy marriage. Oh, but that's so false. <laughs> See, the, 
See, when, when you're in these pre-marriage, I often say, you know, you've made a commitment to one another. And that commitment is not the reality. It's the hope, right? It's the hope of things to come. Here is a trustful phrase. When you make a commitment, whether it's marriage or anything in life, when you make a commitment, you build hope. When you commit to something, you build hope. When you keep it, that's how you build trust. When you give out your word, that's hope. Hasn't happened yet, but that's hope. When you keep your word, that builds trust. If you want to become a trustworthy person, make a commitment to keep your word, no matter what. You keep it. And that builds trust. You begin to trust yourself, and people begin to trust you. But now take this from an Isaiah standpoint. Isaiah is saying, God has made a commitment to us. And that commitment is the whole Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is, can be defined as the hope of what God is going to do. It's the hope of what God, it is the commitment. It is the saying, I'm going to marry you. We haven't gotten married yet, but I'm going to marry you. It's the betrothal process. It's the engagement, so to speak. The whole Old Testament. But eventually, God has to keep his word. And once he does, we go from hope to trust. And for a lot of us, that may be the step we need to be to go from hope, hoping in God. Now, I know a lot of people, they hope in God. Oh, I hope God does this, or I hope God does that, or I hope God will do this in my life, or, you know, use that a lot. And, and, and my heart as a pastor is, let's get you from hope to trust, is I trust that whether my hopes come true or not, God is going to be there for me. He will not let, let me end in a negative. He will not fail me. I trust that. Because the hope has been completed in who? In Jesus and his work on the cross. This commitment that God made began with Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, right after, they get disciplined, Adam gets disciplined, Eve gets disciplined, and then God looks at the devil, the serpent, and he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, you, you guys are going to be fighting. There's going to be enmity. You're going you're to go back and forth like this. And between your offspring and hers. But, but, one is going to come. One is going to come. This is the thesis for the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament. One is going to come. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He is going to crush you. You're, God is telling the devil, you are going to be defeated. The devil is going to be defeated. Evil is going to be defeated. And all this curse and death stuff is going to be gone. Why? Because one of the offspring of Eve, is, who is Jesus, is going to come and crush the head of the devil. Isn't that good news? But that's a commitment. In the Old Testament, that was a commitment. Why? Because Jesus hadn't come yet. In further in Genesis, in chapter 12, verse 1, God uses for the first time an incredible word over all mankind. He uses the word blessed. He says to Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, all of the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, what were they in Adam and Eve? They were what? They were cursed, right? 
Now all of a sudden, we have the promise of all mankind being blessed. It's a commitment to say, this curse that you've endured, is going to be, you are going to be blessed through an offspring of Abraham. So now we've got Adam and Eve, and we know it's going to come through Abraham. Job, speaking prophetically, saw the hope that everything that the devil accomplished that day, you know what he accomplished? He accomplished evil in the world, death, mortality, evil, death, and suffering. And Job, if you know the book of Job, he was suffering at the point of death and struggling with this evil, all this evil that had happened to him. And the devil was in the book of Job in the first chapters there. And Job says this. He says in verse 19, I know that my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer, my Deliverer, my Savior, my Cosigner, my, you know. Says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been destroyed. What's he talking about? His own what? Death. After my skin has rotted and decayed and decomposed. I love this. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh. So what are you saying? I'm going to die. My flesh is going to rot. But somehow or another, I'm going to come back and I'm going to have flesh again. Yet in my flesh... I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. What is Job saying? There's no reincarnation here. When I die and I rise, it will be me. All the people you have ever loved who have died, when they rise, it will be them and you will know it because God will allow that identity to be recognized. He says how my heart yearns within me. And then we get to Isaiah, almost to the middle point. He says, but your dead will live. Your bodies will rise. You who dwell in dust, that's the grave, the death, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. So the good news is, you never really die. (laughs) Death is just a transition from one world to the next. All of this is God's commitment to us. You will overcome the devil and all evil. Death will not be the end and you will rise and see your loved ones again. Probably one of the the greatest things I ever witnessed was when I went to pray um, for a man who was dying and his wife was there and she was... uh, she was talking to him before I came in, and I was kind of trying to be courteous to let her finish her conversation. And I overheard her saying, you know, Merle, I'm going to see you real soon. And when I see you, it's going to be like when we were first married. And I remember thinking, the Bible gives us such confident hope to say that. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's, it's not going to be, you know, like we are now older and we can't run like we used to and we can't jump like we used to we you know we've got all these limitations now because we've aged when we rise we will rise in glory together how do we rise how do we see our loved ones who have gone before us how do we how does all of this happen well isaiah makes it very clear god has made a commitment to humanity all of this death 
and suffering and the things that have caused you pain, it is all going to be defeated. But in the Old Testament, it's a will be defeated. In the New Testament, it's a has been defeated. Notice the difference? See the difference there? On the Old Testament, it's hope. We hope it'll happen. In the New Testament, it's trust. It has happened. One day, God himself went before the courts of heaven and said, these humans, they have a problem. When they die, they'll die, and they'll never live again. Death will be an eternal death. Whatever existence or state spiritually that is, it's, it's cut off from the life, cut off from life, cut off from the land of the living, as Isaiah would say it. And God says, I will give my life for theirs. Our right to live forever. Our passage into the afterlife. It cost God his life. Now God can't die. But Jesus died. He was in a body that could die. That body died that we could live. That's an amazing truth. A truth that I didn't believe really believe for almost the first 18 years of my life. When I was 17, my dad wanted to take a trip to Israel. I didn't want to go to Israel. I wanted to go to Florida. I wanted to go to the beach. I wanted to go to Tahiti. I wanted to go, you know where I wanted to go. That's where I wanted to go. I'm like, Israel? Yeah, I want to go to Israel. Where in Israel? Jerusalem? Jerusalem? Remember, I'm not, a, I'm not a Christian at this point. I'm not really thinking about that. Jerusalem! Yeah, I want to go to Jerusalem. Oh. So I followed him because he wouldn't leave me in a foreign country alone. I'm, I'm there with him, and we go up to this thing called the Dead Sea Scrolls Exhibit. And we go in, and it's all dark. That was kind of cool, actually. I remember thinking to myself, hey, I may not be into this place, but at least they've lit it up cool. It was all dark, and they had these little spotlights, you know, that shined on these encased in glass papyruses, a deerskin paper with all this ancient Hebrew writing on it. And I looked by and I saw all these fragments and it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I was just not into anything of that. I was into myself, but I could care less about old paper. <laughs> I'll just be honest. Until there was this grand exhibit and they had this whole sheet and it said, it said in English and Hebrew, you know, Isaiah chapter 53. It had all 12 verses. It had the Greek Septuagint, was the Old Testament in Greek next to it, an old copy of it. And then it had the English translation next to it. And it was this big, it was probably the biggest, most grand exhibit. Catch this, a Jewish Israel, it wasn't Christian Israel, Jewish Israel made their grand exhibit of the Dead Sea Scrolls, Isaiah chapter 53, which talks about Jesus as the suffering Messiah. <laughs> In hindsight, I think that's kind of funny. But they must have known that a lot of Christians were going to come and visit that. I don't know, or, or maybe God was doing something there. But I remember looking at that, and I remember going, so what? What's the big deal? In my mind. And wouldn't you know what the tour guide said? I bet some of you are thinking, what's the big deal? (laughs) 
You ever have that happen? Where you have a thought come to your mind and then somebody's like tracks with it right now. So I'm like 17 years old and, and he said, the big deal about this is this is a prediction uh, for, he said, for Christians. He made that clear because he was Jewish. For Christians, this is a prediction of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ before, not in particular, Jesus is never mentioned in Isaiah, not the name, but uh, before, uh, before it happened. So, okay. He said, These, this particular papyrus is 150 and 250 years before Christ was even born. I remember thinking to myself, okay, well, that's all right. I don't know what the big deal is, but it was a big deal to you. It didn't happen until years later when I was in Bible college. And I began to see all the arguments against the Bible. Oh, the Bible's been written by man, and the Bible's been translated into a thousand languages, and the Bible has not been faithfully copied, and somebody probably just made it up, and there probably never was a Jesus, there probably never wasn't any of all that stuff, and, and you know, pro- somebody probably just read the Old Testament and then made up a Jesus, and then, you know, they're doing all this stuff. And I remember it hit me then. No, wait a minute. We have a copy of the Old Testament older than Jesus by about 200 years. And in it, it describes almost every aspect of his Passion Week, of his Passion Ministry. So Jesus would have had to read that and say, I'm going to do that to fulfill that prophecy. But if it was all a lie and Jesus wasn't who he says he was, then would somebody be stupid enough to crucify themselves and go through all that? And then have 30,000 followers over the next 300 years die for the same cause? That became a real stretch for me. Maybe? Highly, highly, highly doubtful. So I repositioned my thoughts to, I'm going to take this as true and not some hoax. And the longer you deep look at it, the more you realize there is absolutely no possibility that this could be a hoax. Isaiah was written, it is a prophecy, the gospels were written, and it is the fulfillment of that prophecy that God gave 700 years earlier than Jesus. And that is one of the rational confirmations for me that the Bible is real, the gospel is real, Jesus is Lord, and you can trust it. Because I know, I know some of us, we approach the Bible with some doubts. We do. We approach God with some doubts. Trust when it comes to spiritual things, is not an exact science. The Dead Sea Scrolls, the prophecy of Isaiah, and what I'm about to read to you is an exact science. So I'm going to give, hopefully, some of you who want the reasonable side of faith to kick in, let's dig into a little bit of reason. This is prophecy and prophecy fulfilled. On Isaiah is the hope, the Gospels are the trust. Isaiah is the, I hope this happens, the Gospels are, this has happened. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 starts with this. Isaiah says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. I don't know if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, but when Jesus was on the cross, I could barely look at the screen. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. The fulfillment, John chapter 1. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Prophecy of rejection, Jesus was rejected. Number two, here's a very clear prophecy of the crucifixion. In Isaiah chapter 53, 5, 6, and 10, but he was pierced for our transgressions. This is centuries before the Romans ever perfected crucifixion. He was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. In other words, the punishment that should have been us was on him, and that has brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed from sin and death. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, what? Some of you are so used to hearing Jesus' sin offering. Go back for a second and imagine you're an Old Testament Jew. Old Testament Jews, they sacrificed pigeons, they sacrificed sheep, they sacrificed goats, occasionally a bull if you had some money. But they did not sacrifice people. Isaiah, what are you talking about? This is an even Old Testament biblical faith here. You don't, you don't say that a person is going to be a sin off offering. Isaiah did. Isaiah said, There's, this person is going to be the sin offering, and he is going to bear up, take up, and cancel out the iniquities of us all. 700 years before it happened. Verifiably 200 years before it happened. Romans chapter 8. What does Paul say in verse 3? For the, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a what? Sin offering. I.e. Jesus died for our sins and so condemned sin in the flesh. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, speaking of Jesus, yet he did not open his mouth, led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before its shearers is silent. He did not open up his mouth. Fulfilled in Matthew chapter 26, says the high priest stood up at his trial and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? And it says in verse 63, but Jesus remained silent. Another prophecy fulfilled. Isaiah 53, verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? In other words, who rose up and said, no, we shouldn't crucify him? No. When they brought Jesus out, what did the crowd say? Crucify him. Did they just say it or did they shout it? They shouted it. Crucify him. Crucify him. Isaiah says, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Mark 15, 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. I know other interpretations of Jesus' death, uh, whether it's from Islam or Jehovah's Witness Mormon or even just outside interpretations, claim that if Jesus truly was who he was, he would never have died. The gospel is very clear. Jesus 
breathed his last. That is the way it's written, and it's not lost in the English translation, is it? When somebody brings their, breathes their last, what do we call them? Dead. Jesus was dead. When they took him off the cross, he was dead. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, it says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. What a weird detail. Isaiah is so seeing this that he actually says, and after this person who is dying for our sins dies, they're going to bury him in a rich man's tomb. Isn't that an odd detail? Who really cares what tomb Jesus was buried in, right? It could have been a poor man's tomb for all we care. A tomb's a tomb. But to Isaiah, he's trying to prove a point. When this happens, you will go from hope to trust. Look at the fulfillment. Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. As evening approached, there came a what man? A rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. He had become a disciple of Jesus. Joseph took the body and placed it in his own tomb. Isaiah 53, 12. As he poured out his life unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors. In other words, when we killed him, we'd kill him with other criminals. Mark 15, they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, one on his... Again, why this detail? Why, even, why is Isaiah throwing all this in there? Because Isaiah's saying, when all this happens, we're gonna go from hope. We hope this is true. We hope Jesus is the one. We hope God is coming for us too. It's true. We can trust it. Jesus is the way. God does love us and he is coming for us. And then finally, Isaiah 53, chapter 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And of course, after he has suffered, after he's died, he will see the light of life. And of course, we know from Luke 24, what is the famous line? He is not here. He has risen. Isaiah writes main details of the crucifixion and resurrection 700 years before it happened. But I can't prove that he wrote it 700 years before it happened. But I can prove he, prove he wrote it 150 to 200 years before it happened. Amazing when you begin to think about it. All of these things that line up with the gospel story of Jesus. This week I kept coming back to he was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities. A long time ago, when I was a teenager, I, I've told you the story before, I got in a really brutal, probably my most brutal fist fight ever. Most fist fights really only last 60 seconds or less. A lot of people don't know that, but they don't last very long. But this one did. And, uh, and it, was a pretty, it was a tie. I think we just both beat the pulp out of each other. But my point isn't necessarily to talk about the fight so much as it was when I came home. When I came home, my mom was at home, 
And I ran in, and I ran quickly to the bathroom. And I think my mom knew something was up. And when I ran to the bathroom, and I put both my hands down on the counter, I remember I was shaking. And I looked up, and I saw my face. I had never seen my face like that. I'd never seen blood coming out of my eyes and nose. And looking at my teeth and seeing blood in the outlines of my teeth. My nose was broken so horrifically that to this day, it's never healed. If some of you are wondering, why does Tom got such a weird nose? I took a few good ones, I'll tell you. (laughs) But when I saw my face, you know what my first thought was? My mom should not see this face. No mother should see their kid with a face like this. And I remember, dunk, 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 Tommy, Tom, she called me Tommy. Tommy, what's wrong? What's wrong? Dunk, 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 unlock the door. Tommy, Tommy, turn the water on, splash water, do the best I can. But when I open up the door, <laughs> who's seen her face? I can see it now. And I think about how God must have looked at Jesus on the cross and what he went through to see his son, the face of his son, bloodied and bruised. Isaiah wasn't kidding when he said crushed. I bet you there wasn't a bone left in Jesus' nose that wasn't broken. Cheeks that weren't shattered if I were to say you know how did God feel in that moment just ask my mom when I saw that look in her face I I knew she was crushed inside and when I think of that when I think of Jesus on the cross I think that was the moment When it went from hope to trust. When God said, I will give my life for theirs. You will live forever, but it will cost me mine. And what it took for him to do it. I I don't know what to say. I don't know what can be said. I'm not trying to emotionally woo you. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to I'm trying to say that it's true. It's true. Isaiah predicted it, the gospels documented it. It happened. This is real. A real Jesus died for real people, you and me. And he broke himself to do it. No, he didn't didn't break his legs, didn't break his arms. But he was beaten pretty good. So what do we do now? What do I do? What did I do when I had that moment in my life where I realized, you know what? 
I believed a lot in God because of my own experiences. Man, after 20 years of ministry, I have no doubt that God is real. I have no doubt that Jesus Christ is his son. I have no doubt that in the name of Jesus is the most powerful prayers you could ever pray. No doubt. I couldn't tell you all the stories now. It'd probably be inappropriate. I don't want to sit here and talk about myself the whole time or my life or what I've seen. But believe me, the experience alone has secured in my heart all those things are very, very true. But then there's also this. Reason and Scripture tells me this is very, very true. The traditions, the thousands, maybe millions of people who have died for this truth tells me that it's true. There's a whole lot of thing, more things telling us it's true. And we've got one little worm out there telling us it's not. Just flick that worm away. It's true. Jesus died for us. So what do we do? First, we believe. Trust God in His Word. Believe. Secondly, we do is we serve. And trust that God will bring a reward. If you were to ask me, Tom... Why do you do it? Why do you, why do you make the sacrifices to be a ministry? Or why would you ask me to make the sacrifices in ministry? Part of it is because of you. I believe you're worth it. But there is another reason. There is another reason that drives me to wake up at, at the ungodly hours. hours. How can I say in church? At the breaking of the dawn. <laughs> We're so used to saying ungodly hours, but <laughs> all hours are godly, right? At the break of dawn, and to get excited about what God's going to do. What, 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 what's the motivation? Right there. Right there. Hanging there for three hours. That's all the motivation I need. Third thing, we suffer and trust God will bring restoration. You know what the apostles said after they were preaching about Jesus and they got caught? They got whipped, they got stripped, tied to a post and beaten with a leather whip. At the end of it were little bone fragments. You know what they said after that happened? God, thank you for allowing us to suffer for your name. <laughs> Man, I get a little hangnail, and I'm complaining for half a day, you know? I get a little, you know, whatever, and my whole day is shot, and I'm, God, why did you let this happen to me? We need to all be like Paul a little more. You know what Paul said? I've been beaten. I've been bruised. I've been whipped. I've been left for dead. I've been thrown in prison. And all I got to say to the devil is, is that all you got? <laughs> and then finally, fourth, we worship daily and trust our lives will have purpose. Life isn't just going by. Every day, we were created, created to worship. And I hope this morning, if I have given any, you anything, I have given you the best reason. And that reason is this. God promised it. He gave us a hope. God did it, kept his word, and now we have trust. From hope to trust. Will you trust God with me this morning? It's all true. Jesus is real, and it's time to get serving. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to make a very simple invitation. 
And the invitation is this. If after today, you feel like, you know what, there have been some things solidified and it's time for me to say yes. I make Jesus my Lord. I take the Bible as God's word. I take the Holy Spirit as my companion in my heart. And I trust that Jesus is going to forgive my sins and take me to heaven when I die. That's a big decision. I'm not trying to coerce you in it by any means. It won't work. But I do want to make a very heartfelt invitation. If that's what you'd like to do or say, whether it's for the first time or maybe it's like, you know what? I know I've been drifting. I've been distant. I just want to re-stamp it again. Reseal it again. Just go ahead right now and and raise up one of your hands just to signify that. Amen. Just raise up your hand. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for being pierced for my transgressions. Thank you for forgiving all my sins. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.